Ryan, as we get into the market section, we're going to talk about some numbers that are very exciting. Some Bitcoin price numbers, some uh, some percentage up on the week numbers that are very exciting. But I want to take this moment before we get into the market section to remind and hopefully broadcast to everyone listening that we want Bankless Nation, happy third week of February 2024. We are in the bull market. David, what time is it? It's the Friday Bankless Weekly Rollup where we cover all of the news in crypto, which is getting easier and easier these days because the news just gets better and better. Ryan, how you doing, <laughs> my man? I'm doing great, man. We we uh, Did you watch the Super Bowl over the weekend? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. Well, there are no crypto commercials. Uh, maybe you'll be happy to know or unhappy to know. I'm not sure. It means Indi- I'm think, indifferent on that one. I think very, very, very squarely. The part we're in, in, in the market is the normies have not yet come, yes. but the crypto natives are waking up and those that were in crypto last cycle are starting to look at their price charts and be like, Oh, that crypto that I kept, it's going up and they're starting to pay attention. I think that's where we are in the market this week. The, this conversation has been going around. I have gotten text messages from two friends who were also decently early last cycle, definitely ahead of retail last cycle. Um, and they have texted me again. So I have some people texting me, but these are the people who are smart and ahead of the curve. They, so but they I've, were just like checked out over the last they, they few just, years. They when, just checked out. Yeah, they, they never went full crypto. They never, they yeah. have normal TradFi, normal people jobs, um, but you know, dabble in crypto when crypto's hot. Well, David, we got a lot to talk about in the market section. Bitcoin hit one trillion in market cap and 50k on the week. It's above that, I think, at the time of recording. And so we got to talk about the Bitcoin ETFs, GBTC selling. What might be behind some of these moves? What else we got? Another filing for the ETH ETF out of our friends from Franklin Templeton. We'll talk about that. And of course, some of the biggest news of the week: Starknet token is finally here. So we're going to unpack. All of that, the good, the bad, the ugly of one of the most anticipated token drops that are out there. And also, did you hear about um, Sam Altman raising $7 trillion? I have never yeah. heard of anyone raising with a T on it for this new AI chip project. Uh, so yeah. we'll, that'll be at the towards the end of the podcast. Uh, David, I also want to throw some hot takes your way about uh, what it's like to be a crypto native in the U.S. these days. I'm, I'm starting to get geo-blocked from a lot of things, and I ain't happy about it. Yeah, okay? I, so I, I know we'll you're talk not. Yeah. <laughs> Going to get a little dad talk from you, aren't we? Yeah, a little dad talk. A little, a little dad rant, I think. <laughs> uh, David, before we begin, we got to shout out our friends and sponsors who are having a little conference over at SUI. What is SUI Basecamp, David? SUI Basecamp, it's the inaugural global conference for the SUI chain. SUI is one of the newer layer ones on the scene. Proof of stake, delegated proof of stake blockchain using the Move environment, which is, I think, the, the environment that was developed by Facebook. So I think a lot of people, a lot of devs out there are familiar with, with it. This is during Paris Blockchain Week, April 10th to 11th in Paris. So if you like tinkering or exploring newer layer one ecosystems, the SUI Basecamp would like to invite you to go. There is a link in the show notes and a code also in the show notes for 20% off of a pass to SUI Basecamp in Paris. Yeah, it's sui-bankless-20 for 20% off that standard pass. It's kind of interesting, I think, because uh, SUI is one of the chains that is exploring the parallelized right. uh, virtual machine mm-hmm. landscape, which uh, ha- has been a major theme this year. Yeah, parallelization is definitely just one of the big uh, research and development topics with a lot of chains uh, coming on layer twos and layer ones like SUI, of course. Uh, a big sector, I think, for the focus this year. Ryan, as we get into the market section, we're going to talk about some numbers that are very exciting. Some Bitcoin price numbers, some uh, some percentage up on the week numbers that are very exciting. Um, but I want to take this moment before we get into the market section to 
remind and hopefully broadcast to everyone listening that we want quiet all-time highs. So I think everyone needs to be very excited internally with your other crypto friends. But when you talk about the Bitcoin all-time highs in line at Starbucks with your crypto friend, make sure no one can hear you because we are trying to extend Wait, are you this period you? as long as possible <laughs> before people come in. So I'm asking the industry on behalf of Bankless, yeah. we want quiet all-time highs. And there is a clip that I have that I would like to show that I think represents where we are in the market. Uh, this is a clip from uh, Animal House. Have you seen Animal House, Ryan? I, I have not seen that movie. It's like a movie what? from like the 70s. Yeah, I've not seen it. What? Okay. Animal House is a fantastic movie. Uh, this is, I mean, the, the clip is from the song Shout uh, from the Isley Brothers, famous song. Everyone should know this song. But really, it's appropriate, the most appropriate with Animal House because we are all animals. For people who don't know, it's about a fraternity that's about to get kicked off of campus for being <laughs> right. too rowdy. Right. Uh, and they are doing their last party that is about to get them kicked off uh and so here is a scene uh in using the shout song and there's this in shout there's this part of the song where everyone's like the um the the song goes a little bit softer now a little bit quieter uh, yeah, now yeah yeah, yeah yeah right before things get loud uh, can we play that yeah let's play that so quiet all-time highs is what quiet i guess we should be highs. thinking of when we're i'm, ca I'm we're calling for quiet all-time highs <laughs> okay now wait a minute Okay, so this is where we are now. We're all partying, having a good time. Okay, this is where we need to be. This is where we need to be. We need to be a little quieter. <laughs> This is where we. This is the next two months of our lives. A little bit quieter now. Just like this. Just like whispering and, and the, and about then, all time highs. And then this is what happens next. It's, it's it's really soft. It's really soft. Really really soft. And then we get to get loud. Okay. <laughs> I'm just. This is how this needs to go. We first we get quiet. We get quiet for the next two, three, four months, and then we get loud like towards the end of this year. I'm calling. That's my call to action. To the entire industry. <laughs> yeah, and then and then it's just degeneracy. But like, <laughs> we're gonna get like you can't you can't hold that back. All right. Does it that, does that, it that, ever that, actually get crazy? Do they just start screaming? Does it? Do we get to the kind of the the euphoria of the bull market in this clip? Uh, in in the rest of the movie, yeah, you see the the guys of the fraternity just like take over an entire town uh, during a parade. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that if you guys have seen a watch Animal House if you haven't. All right, seen so, that. so so I guess like don't send the Bankless episodes to your friends. Don't right. tell anybody. Right. Don't, when they don't, text you. Don't talk about, about crypto. Things, just be like, like oh, it, oh, I hadn't yeah. noticed. Is it all time yeah. high? Oh, cool. oh, yeah, wow, yeah, uh huh. Yeah, mm, just just keep yeah. this quiet. For, just keep for it, David. Keep it quiet. Keep it quiet. This is, this is for your mental health, right? Is that is that why you <laughs> yeah. want it? Or is this good for everybody? This is good for everyone. The longer that we can drag out this cycle and 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 keep away the just exploding all-time high blow-off tops. We're trying to avoid the blow-off tops. And that this is what we're doing. We're, pla we're practicing know, restraints. I don't know. Like, I like we the idea. We need to act like we've won a game All before. Right. That's fine. I like the idea. I just, I don't think markets will, like, uh, honor your request here. Okay? Because, like, <laughs> markets, we, like, they, they, are, they are animals. 
Yes. Right. I mean, like in especially the animal spirits. markets. <laughs> All right. And, and we're up. So let's talk about Bitcoin on the week. Um, mm-hmm. We've teed this up a lot. But uh, where are we? Where do we start? And where are yeah. we now? We started the week at forty five thousand two hundred dollars. We are currently at fifty two thousand three hundred dollars. We're up 16 percent on the week. I remember, Ryan, remember, like maybe about a year ago, you were you, I think we were talking about like, man, Remember, remember when we there were like double digit days, yep. either up or down. Yep. But there was like a solid like four months of just like, oh, Bitcoin's up two percent, Bitcoin's down three yeah. percent. It was just crabbing around. It was yeah, just it was crabbing just like, around. Yep. Up sixteen percent. Wow. Yeah. Say it again. Say it up again. Up sixteen percent on quietly. Up sixteen. Sixteen <laughs> percent on the week. A very modest, humble sixteen percent. We could be loud here. This is a uh, this is a podcast for crypto news. We don't yet have yeah. the normies coming back in. Yeah, we need, uh, to, we need to set in the expectations though. Okay, so this is a cycle. Would you say cycle? All time high in terms of price. And by that certainly, I mean certainly. the highest it's been since right. what twenty twenty one. Yes, we are, we are we are threatening price discovery. We still got six uh, nineteen thousand more dollars, uh, seventeen thousand more dollars until we hit the uh, famous all time high price of sixty nine thousand four hundred twenty dollars. Um, but like, there's not much like space between fifty k and sixty nine k. Look, like, I'm, it, I'm almost surprised more like uh, mainstream hasn't jumped on this because the, another number was hit, not just the fifty k number. We're not quite at Bitcoin all time all time highs, right? In terms of price. Um, but like another milestone uh, number, Bitcoin is worth over a trillion dollars yeah, at the time of recording. That's a lot. It's a lot. That is huge. Yeah. All the people who said Bitcoin was de- crypto is dead, not coming back. Sam Bankman Fried <laughs> killed it. Whatever they say mm-hmm. during the intervening cycle. <laughs> I mean, surprise, one trillion. Bitcoin's not dead. <laughs> <laughs> the most like uh, predictable surprise ever, uh, I would say. But well, let's talk about the mechanics of what's going on because mm-hmm. I actually think. The Bitcoin ETF flows have been a big contributor. So the Bitcoin ETF wasn't just a narrative, wasn't just a sell the news type of event. We're actually seeing some flows. Can we talk about that? Because I think that is part of the reason why price is uh, increasing in double digits this week. Ever since the launch of the Bitcoin ETFs, there has been like a Benjamin buttoning between the grayscale outflows and the ETF inflows, where the ETF inflows actually started pretty strong. Um, but then the, gray, the grayscale outflows just dominated everything. And ever since then, the grayscale outflows to, to Coinbase, just to selling in general, has been down only. And we are seeing just uh, a resurgence in momentum of inflows into the Bitcoin ETF. So just uh, on February 12th, this is one day, BlackRock iShares, uh, $374 million. Fidelity FBTC, $150 million. Bitwise, $40 million. And then the grayscale loss of $95 million. Uh, meanwhile, what was mined was $51 million. So huh. the $51 million was introduced. $95 million was flowed out of Grayscale. But then BlackRock had 375, Fidelity had 150, and Bitwise had 40. Just like, fav- like it, we are just tilting balance of power into the, gray- uh, the Bitcoin ETFs. Also, another way to put what you just said, the ETFs are sucking up 10x more Bitcoin mm-hmm. than the miners can produce. Right. At this point in the market. And, wow. and lately this week, it has been accelerating. One thing that I'm worried that's happening, Ryan, because it's going to kill my quiet plans, <laughs> is as Bitcoin prices go up, more marketing happens. Like this is like the age old truth of like, what's the best Bitcoin marketing there is? Price. As Bitcoin price goes up, demand goes up. This is what a bull market is. This is why crypto price action is so reflexive. As demand goes up, interest goes up. If interest goes up and we have the largest pipes to buying Bitcoin that we've ever had before, the Bitcoin ETF, 
inflows into the Bitcoin ETF also go up. So it's like reflexive. And this is, <laughs> this is going to kill my, my quiet plans. But I think as Bitcoin excitement and exuberance goes back to retail, as your friends start texting you, like flows into the Bitcoin ETF is just going to only accelerate. Okay, so you know, during the last two years, about every couple of weeks, we would mention uh, Michael Saylor's dollar cost averaging with MicroStrategy into Bitcoin. Do you remember, David, all of the times we mentioned yeah. that on the roll-up? Okay, yeah, like like uh, twenty times. Well, so what just happened from January eleventh, the launch of this new crop of uh, ETFs, until now, is the cumulative. Um, assets under management, the cumulative Bitcoin these ETFs have purchased is now more than all that MicroStrategy has purchased over the past, I don't know, five or so years. So they, the Bitcoin ETFs now own over 1% of all Bitcoin supply in existence and have gone and flippant Michael Saylor's uh, mm -hmm. dollar cost averaging. So that's another sense of like the magnitude of this. I don't know. It kind of is a sense of the magnitude of how much goddamn Bitcoins Michael Saylor has. <laughs> well, it, it takes three, knew that, though. It takes three Bitcoin ETFs to <laughs> get higher Rock. than, yeah. than MicroStrategy's yeah. supply of Bitcoins. Well, so you have to add BlackRock, Fidelity, and Bitwise together to be like, <laughs> I, will be, I will be impressed finally when only, it only takes one Bitcoin ETF to beat Michael Saylor. Okay, so like this is all a piece of it. There are real inflows happening with the Bitcoin ETFs. It's this new uh, product that has launched. There's also been a shift in the narrative this cycle. So David, this is not something we saw in the 2020-2021 bull cycle. This time, TradFi is talking about crypto. Mm -hmm. And I want to show one thing, and then we'll get to uh, CNBC, which is like one of TradFi's main I, I would say, um, media companies uh, that a lot of traditional investors look at. But one thing I wanted to show you is, look at this. this these are some f Fidelity ETFs, right? So one of the kings of TradFi, what, five, six trillion in assets under management, Fidelity. You know what they're doing? It's not just the Bitcoin ETF, but look at these other ETFs. This is called the Fidelity All-in-One Conservative ETF Fund. You know mm -hmm. that 60-40 60 uh right. you know percent fixed income if you're conservative bonds 40 yeah, yeah, percent yeah. stocks uh -huh. right okay uh -huh. look what they slipped into the all-in-one conservative oh my ETF god one percent crypto now whoa okay it's, so it's, it's no longer 60 40 it's no. now 59 40 and one percent and that one percent is bitcoin yes we took it out of bonds and we allocated it to crypto Good. and that's that's <laughs> their conservative fund so even if it traditional investors are not buying bitcoin they're just doing right. the yeah i'll just go in the you know 60 40 thing now they get one percent of bitcoin yeah, yeah, yeah. in their 60 40 plan and then right. if you get all the way you want the the full like gas pedal to the metal you know 401k uh, with fidelity, then it's it's composed of ninety seven percent equity, three percent crypto. So, okay, so crypto is just sneaking its way into the balanced ETFs that are out there for people who just want to bid and walk away and not think about it. So crypto, the the bid of crypto is being uh, innervated into like all of these different ETFs. Yeah, I mean these are things that that you know most Americans will find in their 401ks and they just kind of click it, set it, and forget it. Right? I'll right. just do the right. you know the conservative right. package or the growth package or whatever. And they're buying uh, crypto. They're buying Bitcoin behind the scenes. I don't even think I factored this in to like what could happen on the back of a Bitcoin ETF. But there you have it. Um, normal Americans buying crypto without even knowing it, yeah. which is pretty crazy. And look at how the narrative has, has switched. Well, one thing mm -hmm. this is. Uh, 
uh, from CNBC. Do you remember that this, this will give you flashbacks, I think, to, uh, to 2020, 2021. Our friend Anthony Pompliano, once again on CNBC, shilling, talking about Bitcoin. I haven't Here's heard about clip. Anthony Pompliano in a while. And all Listen, of a sudden he shows up on CNBC shilling Blast Bitcoin. from the past. Here it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, the verdict's in, right? Uh, Wall Street doesn't just like Bitcoin, they love Bitcoin. If you think of these assets, uh, there's been over 5,500 ETF launches in history. Never have we had a fund get to $3 billion in AUM in the first 30 days. BlackRock and Fidelity both just did it. So two for the first time in history. And then if you look at Bitwise and 21 shares, uh, ARK, they're both gonna hit a billion dollars this year or uh, this week. And so now you have four funds that are gonna hit a billion dollars of inflows. But the most interesting part of this is the inflows. I mean, these funds are doing $500 million a day of net inflows, but there's only 900 Bitcoin that is actually coming into the daily incoming supply. And so when you look at that, that's like 40 to $45 million. There's 12 and a half X more demand for Bitcoin than what's being produced on a daily basis. So how much of this do you think? That is a, yeah, Anthony back. And uh, mm-hmm. he does that very do, well. Does what say. he does best, yeah. Yeah, so CNBC is is talking up um, crypto in any way. Mm-hmm. Actually, they had They're the ruining first, my plans. Yeah, they're talking about it a lot, David. So it might be ruining your plans. However, here's another clip from CNBC this week and maybe some water being doused on the, uh, the excitement over Bitcoin with none other than our friend uh, Gary Gensler from the SEC. So they actually brought Gary on one of the uh, CNBC episodes and one of the co-hosts, um, his name's Joe, I believe, goes back he's, and forth pretty with based. Gary Gensler. He's yeah, been I, based for a while. It's great. But like, I, I want you to, I mean, what I saw in this video was just the, the utter disbelief Gary Gensler. Right. The resistance. The resistance. Yeah. And like, he's yeah. trying to reason with, like TradFi, basically, uh, they've switched bullish on Bitcoin and he just cannot understand it. So mm-hmm. let's play the clip here. Since it's decentralized and, and you, can't what, have, what, what, you can't have a profligate central bank. It's not that decentralized. Well, I know, I know you're saying because of the ETFs, but, but, but really no, it no, is. No, it's for not DeFi that decentralized because look how finance tends towards centralization since antiquity. Right. So what do we have? We have a handful of three yeah, to six core so-called crypto I understand that the asset itself, the and way that, the, you know, the, the, that's the, the how distributed the ledger. ledger. Right. That's how, that's the, how the ledger. And now, how many times do you have people on this show that say, I want to invest in something because how the books and records are kept? He just can't I mean, believe Joe, it. Really? You, you, it's just an accounting ledger. He cannot believe it. It's just an accounting ledger. Everyone has and can't be double counted. It, it, it's almost immutable. <laughs> it, that's, that's why people think it has. So you value. trust it more than an Oracle database. Or you trust I, it more trust than, it more than a lot of than a lot of the the, the get this out of my ears. Get this out of my ears. In, in <laughs> the central bank that that, the, yeah, that enables the the fiscal authorities to spend money to the tune of thirty trillion dollars. It's just an Oracle database, David. I, I gotta say, it, I watched the rest of this interview, and Joe was just firing back at Gensler the Hell entire yeah. time. So. Um, you wouldn't have seen any of this in 2020 right. and 2021. Mm-hmm. This is no, Dan CNBC Mc- and other people have gotten educated. Yeah, yeah. They're but, doing but, great. But there is a group of people, Gary Gensler and friends, who just cannot believe TradFi is sort of like buying in on the crypto hike. Dan McArdle put it this way. Um, he, that's Gary Gensler, just can't imagine that anyone might want to have a stake in a money financial system that isn't run by big banks and the government. Right. It drives him nuts. Yeah. Um, I think it does. And here, maybe we'll, we'll end the section with this, David, is the last time Bitcoin was at 50K, 
Greater than 50% of the supply was held by lettuce hands. <laughs> Terra Luna was running a Ponzi. Remember that? FTX was selling paper Bitcoin, not even real Bitcoin. They're just minting it. GBDC premium buyers were getting wrecked. Precipice of the fastest rate hike in history. Oh, you remember that? Last mm-hmm. time 50K, Powell mm-hmm. was just beginning to kind of ratchet it up. Yep. The Super Bowl crypto ads kind of marked the top, didn't it? Including FTX's ads. The difference between Bitcoin at 50K today, 70% of the supply held by diamond hands. The poster means people have just been through the last two-year gauntlet of all of the bearish news. Passive Wall Street bid, we just talked about that. Nine weeks away from the halvening, so that's happening later in April. Rate cuts coming later this year, probably. No Super Bowl ads. The noise is quiet. The fluff is gone. Now we ride. Yeah, that's that's nice. These are some good words. Uh, one, one thing that uh, we we miss or haven't talked about is um, the the whole idea of the Bitcoin ETF aging like fine wine. There's this um, whole like shelling point around six months post an ETF before many institutions even begin looking at it. As in, it needs to be six months old before they will will even uh, uh, like sell it to their customers. And then there's also this like line that gets crossed about um, I can't remember what the term is, but like uh, there's there's three different um, like marketable financial projects and by TradFi. One is just like, you can't market it. You can you can sell it upon request of the customer. And this is where like the Bitcoin, uh, I think this is where like most institutions will consider the Bitcoin ETF other than the big ones who have the ETFs. Uh, but then, then there is a line that gets crossed where the Bitcoin ETF will enter in like a marketable, sellable financial asset. And we're not there yet. So all of this like ETF excitement is before the Bitcoin ETF is even at a level of maturity to be at par with like other financial tools inside of Wall Street. So like we, we still have like a lot of juice left to squeeze out of this whole ETF thing. Well, David, for, for a guy that doesn't hold any Bitcoin, which I know mm-hmm. you are, you sound awfully excited about Bitcoin this week. Can, can we turn to your favorite subject maybe and our favorite oh, subject? Can, you- all of the things I'm saying about Bitcoin are just future things about ETH. <laughs> <laughs> he means them even more so for ETH. Yes. So you can yeah, see that like, in your mind. Yeah. So Bitcoin is halfway through. It's like it's BTC ETF like arc, and ETH isn't even at its like starting <laughs> line yet. Like we have this is and so all of this has like upside for ETH. Okay. So ETH started the week two thousand four hundred thirty dollars, up sixteen and a half percent one more percent than Bitcoin, to $2,830, where we are right now. Uh, so very good week from uh, from ETH this week. Um, and it also got Franklin Templeton to join the Spot ETH ETF race. What? Uh, that filed filed this week, joining BlackRock, Fidelity, ARK, 21 shares, Grayscale, Vanek, Invesco, Galaxy, and Hashdex, who have all submitted spot ETH ETF applications. We're just uh, we running show, the same play back, right? We're just running, running the same play back, but yeah, so with, with a lot more upside for ETH, uh, we'll talk about like the differences in the market structure and what that means. Uh, we did a show with uh, Sandy uh, for, about from Franklin Templeton about crypto. We asked, I asked her about like, okay, it, when the ETH ETF inevitably gets approved, whether that's this year or next year, inevitably this year, how do you think that that plays into the market dynamics? Uh, I will let that be a tease. And you know I'll let you... You know, it was a big, uh, like, surprised me. Sandy is mm. actually more bullish on Ether than she is Bitcoin. That was the tease. That was the tease. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean All to right. spoil the tease. <laughs> okay, All but right. the main difference between the ETH market structure and the Bitcoin market structure is ETH has its own endogenous 
catalysts, its own endogenous reasons to suck it up and place it places. We are seeing this in layer twos, where layer two TVL has hit all time highs, $25.5 billion, up 12% in the last seven days. And even when you denominate in ETH, It's up from 7 million to 9.5 million in the last two months. Arbitrum is up 10% in TVL. Optimism up 14%. Manta up 12%. Base up 8%. And Mantle, for which this section in the Layer 2B is brought to you by, because we love Mantle, who will stake your ETH on its own native Layer 2, is up 27%. No surprise, they're up 27% in TVL. Uh, LRTs is another entirely new sector, which has sucked up $3.5 billion of ETH to put it into Eigenlayer. EtherFi coming in at $1.2 billion, followed by Puffer at $8.5 million. Um, I got some takes from Vance Spencer. I, I will dub this next section the Vance Fan Cam because he's been just bull posting and I love it. Uh, his first take of the week, I'm going to go with uh, feels obvious but worth stating the best predictor of ETH ETF flows are the BTC ETF flows. I think everyone was very disappointed in two weeks ago about the weakness in the Bitcoin ETF. And really what just happened was that everyone in crypto Twitter was just like way too short term about the the Pearl's perspective. Turns out they're massively bullish. This information about how strong the ETFs are going to impact ETH is now percolating, permeating through the market. Uh, TradFi will simply get up to the plate the second time and swing even harder Knowing Bayesian priors are positive. That's the this, the first Bayesian tweet. Bayesian priors. So, so one other thing I'll add to this is I think a lot of people, for a lot of people in TradFi, there's still like regulatory risk with Ether because the SEC has not really said whether it's like they have, but and then Gary Gensler pretends right. they didn't, that uh, whether ETH is a security or not. And so mm-hmm. I think like it was never really in question whether B- Bitcoin was a security right. is always kind of deemed a commodity. Once Ether is in, a uh, an ETF form, it's over. Like all of that regulatory risk for TradFi will be completely boiled off. Mm-hmm. And so they have not previously partaken in purchasing Ether, I think, because it's deemed to be regulatory risky. And all of that could go away overnight when the e- uh, Ethereum ETF is approved. The next Vance take is uh, he's quote retweeting uh, Michael Ippolito, who's saying, wonder what happens to ETH after the market realizes that an ETF means $500 million of daily inflows. And Vance adds, on an asset that's a third of the size of Bitcoin with significantly more supply sinks, staking, DeFi, NFTs, and significantly less as a total percentage supply left on the exchanges. Of course, this is the endogenous side of things I was talking about. There's a lot more things to do with your ETH, which means that ETH is much more sensitive to price action, to positive price action, especially because that's the time of the, the time of the season. Uh, and so this is why, Ryan, uh, ETH has a lot left juice to squeeze because it hasn't even started to squeeze the juice of its own ETF narratives. But don't tell anybody, right, David? Don't tell anyone. Keep it quiet. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I need to remind myself. I need to take my own advice. Uh, the, re- the rest of the markets, we, we crossed $2 trillion in total crypto market cap this week. Congrats to all of us. There's some big movers of the week. People are looking down at the risk spectrum on the total crypto market cap. Beam taking the number one spot in movers of the week this week. Crypto gaming sector up 60%. Say, a paralyzed EVM layer one chain up 50%. Stacks, Bitcoin DeFi sector up 45%. This can also be corroborated by a lot of the Bitcoin deals that we're seeing at Bankless Ventures. Lots of Bitcoin deals, lots of Bitcoin layer two deals. Uh, and then immutable crypto gaming again up 40% on the week. So lots lots of different categories are up, up 
getting some bids. That was only one part of the bullish news this week. The other part we're going to get into when we come back talking about the Stark token airdrop, the community response, the nuances you might have missed, and what we think about all this, all this and more. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible, including our number one recommended destination to go buy your Bitcoin, buy your ETH, get onboarded into crypto. That is Kraken. Go create an account. Kraken knows crypto. Kraken's been in the crypto game for over a decade. And as one of the largest and most trusted exchanges in the industry, Kraken is on the journey with all of us to see what crypto can be. Human history is a story of progress. It's part of us, hardwired. We're designed to seek change everywhere, to improve, to strive. And if anything can be improved, why not finance? Crypto is a financial system designed with the modern world in mind. Instant, permissionless, and 24-7. It's not perfect, and nothing ever will be perfect. But crypto is a world-changing technology at a time when the world needs it the most. That's the Kraken mission, to accelerate the global adoption of cryptocurrency so that you and the rest of the world can achieve financial freedom and inclusion. Head on over to kraken.com bankless to see what crypto can be. Not investment advice, crypto trading involves risk of loss. Cryptocurrency services are provided to U.S. and U.S territory customers by Payward Ventures Inc. PVI doing business as Kraken. Arbitrum is the leading Ethereum scaling solution that is home to hundreds of decentralized applications. Arbitrum's technology allows you to interact with Ethereum at scale with low fees and faster transactions. Arbitrum has the leading DeFi ecosystem, strong infrastructure options, flourishing NFTs, and is quickly becoming the Web3 gaming hub. Explore the ecosystem at portal.arbitrum.io. Are you looking to permissionlessly launch your own Arbitrum Orbit chain? Arbitrum Orbit allows anyone to utilize Arbitrum secure scaling technology to build your own orbit chain, giving you access to interoperable, customizable permissions with dedicated throughput. Whether you're a developer, an enterprise, or a user, Arbitrum Orbit lets you take your project to new heights. All of these technologies leverage the security and decentralization of Ethereum. Experience Web3 development the way it was always meant to be. Secure, fast, cheap, and friction-free. Visit Arbitrum.io and get your journey started in one of the largest Ethereum communities. It's everyone's favorite season in crypto, tax season. And crypto tax is always an absolute headache, especially for all you DGENs out there. But it doesn't have to be a nightmare. That's where Crypto Tax Calculator comes in. The software built for DGENs by DGENs. As Coinbase's official global tax partner, Crypto Tax Calculator focuses on making complex transactions into easy ones, supporting over 300,000 currencies across Ethereum, Arbitrum, Optimism, as well as a thousand other integrations as well. It's as simple as connecting your wallet, pulling in all your transactions, and following the automated suggestions to quickly and accurately calculate your tax obligations. Plus, for all the airdrop farmers out there, Crypto Tax Calculator has your back as they are consistently adding support for new and upcoming layer ones, layer twos, and all the airdrops that you're currently farming. 2024 is the year when the DGENs do their crypto taxes with speed and confidence. Make taxes this year easy and affordable with Crypto Tax Calculator. Sign up at CryptoTaxCalculator.io and get a 30% discount with code BANK30. Click the link in the show notes for more information. All right, David, tell me about the StarkNet token. So that was a provision this week. I think that's the term that you're using. Mm-hmm. Some other people might call that uh, an airdrop. Yeah, um, I'm, not, I'm not using the provision <laughs> term. I'm using the, it was an airdrop. It was okay. an airdrop that happened. So it was airdropped. Uh, actually, uh-huh. so um, you, it's not available yet. It's not airdrop. So, yeah, it's not Starknet, actually airdropped. It's Starknet incoming. just told everyone what the eligibility criteria was and yeah. kind of like the addresses that are eligible. So get into it. What went on? 900 million Stark tokens will be airdropped to uh, 1.3 million addresses. There is a total supply of 10 billion Stark tokens. So that is 9%. 750 
million were just allocated, in, which was with the news that happened on Wednesday of this week. So 750 million of the 900 million that will be dropped has been allocated. Um, it's currently trading, Ryan, on a pre-market price at $1.8 on AVO right now. So like some pre-market uh, speculation. So that's clocking in at $18 billion, which puts it shoulder to shoulder with Avalanche. Uh, and maybe maybe a little bit higher than Avalanche. Uh, Avalanche and Optimism are the two below it. So I think number 17 or 18 in total crypto market cap by fully diluted valuation. Hmm. Um, so who is eligible? They said 1.3 million addresses. StarkNet and StarkX users. StarkX, that is uh, the DYDX V2 chain. That was when it was a layer two on Ethereum. Uh, Immutable, the gaming chain. Uh, RhinoFi and also SoRare. Uh, so if you are users of these for a specific criteria, then you've got the drop. If you staked with Ethereum, if you staked Ethereum and uh, pre-merge, either with Lido, Rocket Pool, Validating Pools, or as a solo staker, you got a token drop. One of the thing that was one of the, th the things that was borked in this airdrop was that they got bad data. Uh, and so they are working to update the data. A lot of Ethereum stakers said, oh, I, sta I staked before the merge, but like the website's showing me a zero, what's up? Bad data, they're going to fix it. It's going to be updated and then you, you'll you see your tokens. Uh, and then there was a lot of uh, adopt to StarkNet devs. This was a overall, I'm getting into some of the, the vibe checks here. This is overall a developer weighted token drop over users and that has cause some consternation with the users. Um, but we'll get into that. Uh, what does the token do? Of course, you can pay for network fees with it. It's also used with governance. Of course, you can also, in the near-term future, stake the Stark tokens uh, to actually run and maintain the StarkNet chain. Uh, and so the day of claiming is going to be February 20th at 7 a.m. Eastern time and will be open for four months. So you have four months to make sure you find all of your addresses and claim your tokens uh, and you can check whether you are eligible. There is a link in the show notes. Be very, very cautious for scams. It's provisions.starknet.io. There's a link in the show notes below. We will also get this into the bankless claimables as soon as uh, as soon as possible. Oh, David, look at this. I I'm got a uh, geo block on the Starknet website. Yep. So yep. <laughs> I, I guess because I am logging in from America. Yeah. But uh, you yeah, to, you need to log in from your preferred country of choice um, <laughs> later. Yeah. So, uh, so like all airdrops, uh, there are opinions when an airdrop mm -hmm. kind of happens, right? There's a community reaction and you, you gave kind of a TLDR. This is almost like users got a little less than what they were hoping for. I would say that's the maybe, general maybe a lot more than a little. Okay. And then the devs got maybe more than they were hoping for, but I don't know yeah. if devs came out and were very excited about it. So anyway, give, give us the positive takes first and then maybe some of the negative takes, and, and we'll see if we can distill this. Yeah. First, I just want to call and show uh, Tim Bako's tweet here. Thrilled to see Protocol Guild, EIP authors, stakers, and devs represent such a large part of the StarkNet provisions. And so of the 9%, these populations were treated pretty well, uh, especially ETH stakers. That's that's pretty new. That's I think this is the first of its kind, especially pre-merge ETH stakers. And then when we talked to Ellie and Diego on our podcast with them, they said like, well, why, why did you airdrop to ETH stakers? And they said, well, we need people to maintain our network too. And they're already maintaining the Ethereum network. Uh, so they're very aligned. Uh, and so uh, that rationale just makes a ton of sense to me. Protocol Guild, of course, are the people, the open source developers who have built so much of the software that StarkNet stands upon. EIP authors overall just like went out of the way to reward people who this entire Ethereum ecosystem is standing on top of the shoulders of. And that includes anyone who's using the EVM as well, which is alternative layer ones. So that was Tim Bako. DC Builder, 
uh, says, thank you, Starkware and Starknet. Appreciate uh, you for all the support you have given me when I was just getting started on my journey as a research engineer with a grant to create a Starknet, Starknet section mm. and for now being a user of Starknet. Um, I made a tweet talking about the alignment between, this is more of a facetious joke, just the alignment between the airdrop and Ethereum stakers. Um, there's backstory here about calling Starknet the most aligned Ethereum layer two. Uh, if you want to hear about that backstory, listen to the episode that we did with Ellie and uh, Diego. Yeah, and I would add from the bankless community and on the on the positive side, there there is we we spun up a channel to actually um, give some feedback and, and critiques anyway takes on the the Starknet airdrop and. Uh, Bankless Citizen Downlore said, on a positive note, even if most people don't claim it, I think giving allocation to GitHub users, it's really the devs, known to contribute to open source way back was a good move. But I don't think most people in the space would appreciate that outside of the devs. And so a right. lot of the tweets that we just talked about on the positive side were from devs like We're Tim devs. Bako, yes. DC uh -huh. Builder. Uh, all of these people are, are very much in the in the dev camp. So maybe we should talk about the the negative side of this too and some yeah. of the, the negative reactions. Where do you want to start? Yeah, so this is also a dev, and I think this is kind of emblematic of some of the choices that Starknet made with his token drop. This is Left Terrace, uh, who says, I was wondering why the Stark drop was so low for my GitHub. It seems that the Starknet airdrop allocation chose to only count Ethereum development contributions from 2018 onwards, which for me, who contributed mostly in 2014 to 2017, that's my, when my core development was. Well, that was unfortunate for me. And I think this just shows that like Starknet tried to be really granular with their token distribution. And as a result of that granularity, left some people out. Uh, so this is a dev saying like, oh, I'm a dev. And I also kind of was excluded from this. Um, let's get into some of the users. Uh, here is Dartanian.eth from the Bankless Nation Discord, uh, who actually started to reflect some of the... Um, the resentment, the the criticisms that I saw on crypto Twitter, but on crypto Twitter, it's really hard to get signal, uh, so which is why I appreciate everyone in the Bankless Discord for, for giving the feedback. Um, uh, D'Artagnan says, 502-day-old wallet, 196 transactions, $15,000 in volume, 33 individual NFT mints, 0 0.07 ETH paid in fees, bought one of the first NFTs on StarkNet, did every StarkNet quest possible, interacted with every single unique contract you could have, zero stark allocation oh wow and he it, okay you finished just saying there's many people like me who did this much work improved other dApps on starknet and gave a hundreds in transaction fees and also got zero starknet allocation so that so that's one bankless citizen uh in the discord another one says uh who's troutstein says in my in my opinion the 0.005 ETH criteria is not the problem, but using a specific timestamp was. And so this is one of the big criteria that invalidated many people. And I think this is kind of one of the biggest sources of uh, resentment about the choices in this, uh, this um, token drop was that Starknet made a, a cutoff where you needed to have 0.005 ETH in your wallet on a particular day. Oh, really? Regardless, regardless of history, of prior history. Huh. Uh, and so if you didn't have ETH in your wallet at one particular day, all previous history was just like disregarded. Anyone who, anybody who just happened to bridge out at this very moment is just filtered out and he says it introduces an unfair element of randomness, which could easily be avoided by a smoothing function, as in like how much did you have Ethan you did you have in your wallet over a longer period of time, which kind of makes sense. So like this is kind of like there's an arms race going on between sibblers who are just farming extractively and in a very corrupt fashion. And the token distributors who are trying to figure out how to issue their tokens to the correct people. There's an arms race going on here. Um, I think 
the StarkNet people tried to do this, but because this is a difficult job, they ended up like cutting out a large number of users. And as a result, there's, I mean, there's so many more users than devs. So as a result of that, there are so many more people who are upset than the people who are appreciative. So like the net crypto Twitter amalgamation of their opinions about this dark net was that it was uh, it, it, on the scale of a zero to one, a zero. Is that a fair scale? I don't, I don't think it's a fair scale, but that's, that's the Twitter scale. It just that's doesn't mean it's fair. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. but, but it sort of is with respect to the sentiment. There, there was also some backlash that I saw regarding like token unlocks for investors yeah. and the team. So this is Lopify saying the Starkware launched their token two plus years ago on chain, but it's basically impossible to trade. It still is at the time of recording. It will right. be possible to trade this in DeFi, I'm sure, on the 20th. They count- Wait, I want to I I highlight that because you said it kind of fast. The yeah. Starknet token was issued years ago ago and frozen on Starknet. Yes. So the token was the token has been a thing yes. for a long time. It has, just hasn't moved. You get to see and you got to see the get, 10 billion supply right, right somewhere living and, in and it's and it's distribution uh, to like investors and parties that own it. So like distributed, minted and distributed years ago, but just not circulating. Okay. So uh, the, the, the poster goes on. They count that as a token generation event. The reason token generation event is um, relevant here is because that's kind of like dictates the vesting schedule for insiders, all of the team, the investors, the VCs, all of those people. Um, now that means two months after launch, 13% of the token supply will unlock for investors. So after, after launch, a lot of the supply basically gets unlocked yeah, from not, uh, insiders. It's not a good look. That is the spirit of vesting schedules is that there is, it is liquidity during the time of the vesting. So you don't get to have zero liquidity and then liquidity for two months and then everyone in, like tokens unlock. It's supposed to be trading. Retail is supposed to buy in or, or get out before investors have like only two months of lockup. It's, it is not the spirit of vesting at all. I think that's probably true. And, and this goes to like the um, what you should make sure you do if you're looking at like purchasing any token is look at the um, like uh, actual the market cap schedule, of it yeah. and look at the unlocks, right? Because that, that mm-hmm. is uh, crucial information. And if, if you're evaluating like uh, the value of one of these things. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we're going to see the end of this conversation. The There's 150 million Stark tokens remaining to be distributed. Uh, I have been chatting with the Starkware people. I let them into the Discord so they can kind of see some of the feedback from the Bankless citizens. So uh, just like a nice a nice place to get signal. Uh, so that was appreciated by them. I don't know what choices that they're making, but they understand that they need to make some choices. I think this is me reading between the lines here. Uh, so I, I think there will be, there's more to come. This story, this arc is not over. Uh, we will see. Yeah, I think it's important for you know people to realize this could be the fir- this is the first of many possible future provisions of the token or, or drops of the token, and so mistakes made in the first round can be corrected in the second round. And so, I it, it looks like there are some things that could be like I've rectified, better, yeah. could, mm-hmm. things that could definitely be you know more smooth, particularly on the user side. At least that's what it looks like from my perspective. Right. I will also say there's like this general crypto Twitter like holding out their hand like I deserve this I'm entitled yeah. to tokens give me tokens now sort mm-hmm. of thing that I did, don't personally vibe with like let's talk about and, but this. it's also it's hard to parse those people away from like the it real is. users like but, but, it's hard to tell who's who but let's talk about like what this also is I mean you would never receive this in the TradFi world you would n- right. never receive this like Hey, I was a Facebook user in the very early days of my college campus, right? Did I get right. any Facebook stock? No, I no, got zero. No. There was no provisioning. There was no airdrop, right? right? 
And so that is the broader context uh, of all of this. So I don't know what I'm saying here. I'm not saying like everyone should be grateful, but yeah. there's an element where we have to like um, not feel entitled to these yeah. things either. And I think that's a uh, you know, like important as we're right. As we're it's a double edged sword. I remember after the Uniswap airdrop came out, I wrote this article called "Moving the Overton Window of Capital." And it was all about exactly that point. Like this is kind of setting the expectations for networks in crypto to include their users in upside. And I think, you know, users and, you know, on, on the one side users, on the other side, like exploitative grifter airdrop farmers who are just like turning this into an absolute operation with multiple Twitter accounts, like ring why they didn't get anything on the, on the other end of the spectrum. That, ex that expectation is good because this is what we want crypto to be. We want to be more inclusive with our capital, more people to be along for the upside. But then there's the people who are taking advantage of that and reducing that the ability to actually allow that to be expressed because they're the exploitative, like operationalized airdrop farmers. Yeah, I agree. And um, end of the day, Starknet is a net good for the ecosystem. They are oh building incredible close, tech. Yeah. Uh, innovative layer two, really pushing mm -hmm. the frontier of cryptography. And so you got to commend the project uh, overall. David, right. what is coming up next? Coming up next, US listeners, three observations about being a crypto native inside of the United States. I think that's coming out of Ryan here. Uh, Sam Altman wants to raise five to $7 trillion to build his AI chip thingy. Uh, GoFundMe deplatformed our ability to send money to Robin Storm's legal defense. Uh, and then also a really good day for people who believe in the 1 million plus roll-up thesis. All of this and more. But first, a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors who make the show possible, especially Mantle, a layer two with native staking built in, and also Eigenlayer Point Farming also built in. Check it out if you haven't already. There is a link in the show notes to get started. Mantle, formerly known as BitDAO, is the first DAO-led Web3 ecosystem, all built on top of Mantle's first core product, the Mantle Network, a brand new high-performance Ethereum layer two built using the OP stack, but uses Eigenlayer's data availability solution instead of the expensive Ethereum layer one. Not only does this reduce Mantle Network's gas fees by 80%, but it also reduces gas fee volatility, providing a more stable foundation for Mantle's applications. The Mantle Treasury is one of the biggest DAO-owned treasuries, which is seeding an ecosystem of projects from all around the Web3 space for Mantle. Mantle already has sub-communities from around Web3 onboarded, like Game7 for Web3 Gaming, and Bybit for TVL and Liquidity and OnRamps. So if you want to build on the Mantle network, Mantle is offering a grants program that provides milestone-based funding to promising projects that help expand, secure, and decentralize Mantle. If you want to get started working with the first DAO-led layer to ecosystem, check out Mantle at mantle.xyz and follow them on Twitter at 0xMantle. Celo is the mobile-first EVM-compatible carbon-negative blockchain built for the real world. Driving real-world use cases like mobile payments and mobile DeFi, and with Opera Minipay as one of the fastest-growing Web3 wallets, Celo is seeing a meteoric rise with over 300 million transactions and 1.5 million monthly active addresses. And now, Celo is looking to come home to Ethereum as a layer two. Optimism, Polygon, Matter Labs, and Arbitrum have all thrown their hats in the ring for the Celo layer two to build upon their stacks. Why the competition? The Celo Layer 2 will bring huge advantages like a decentralized sequencer, off-chain data availability secured by Ethereum validators, and one-block finality. What does that all mean for you? With Celo Layer 2, gas fees will stay low, and you can even pay for gas natively using ERC-20 tokens, sending crypto to phone numbers across wallets using Social Connect. But Celo is a community-governed protocol. This means that Celo needs you to weigh in and make your voice heard. Join the conversation in the Celo forums, follow Celo on Twitter, and visit Celo.org to shape the future of Ethereum. 
Are you launching a token? Is it already live? How are you managing the legal and tax obligations for providing token grants to your team? It's no secret that token management gets complicated. Between learning all the legal language and tax obligations in every country that your team is in, token grant management can feel like an obstacle course, but it doesn't have to. That's where Toku steps in. Toku provides practical tools to handle token grants, allowing for effective oversight of token distributions and payroll tax compliance for employees, contractors, advisors, and investors. They also handle tax withholding through their real-time tax calculations that can be done by Toku or integrated into any payroll EOR providers in any jurisdiction. Toku is a trusted provider of Protocol Labs, DYDX Foundation, Mina Protocol, and many more. Get started for free and make token compensation simple at toku.com bankless. Pretty cool announcement out of Conduit. They say starting today, anyone can deploy mainnet rollups using Conduit. You can choose a tech stack by selecting a framework. What is a framework? That is Arbitrum Orbit. That is an OP stack. Choosing your settlement layer and then you're also your data availability source. I think all of the choices here are going to grow. So you like different frameworks, right? Like uh, Polygon Supernets, uh, ZK Sync, Kuiper Chains, uh, and different settlement layers. Yeah, stay on ETH though. Uh, and then data availability, EigenDA, Celestia, etc. Conduit is just making this really, really easy. Uh, and so if you believe in the 1 million roll-up thesis, this would be an example of that coming true. So big day for in the conduit. I mean, it's kind of cool. They're, they're making it as easy. Like in the early days, you could just spin up a server, just kind of right. like that with a you mm -hmm. know server as a service type platform. And now you could just spin up a chain. Like you'd be able to yeah. spin up a server on the internet. Yeah. yeah. It's very cool. Monolith people in disbelief. Uh, moving on. <laughs> GoFundMe refusing to process fundraising donations for Roman Storm's Legal defense. Uh, this is what I would call oof and bad. Ryan, you want to walk us through this one? Yeah. Do you you remember when GoFundMe like um, debanked the uh, the trucker protesters in mm -hmm. Canada, right? So a bunch of funds were raised, and it just basically right. cut them off, right? And so in some of the Canadian banking banks uh, followed followed suit as well. Well, something similar is happening with Roman Storm. So he's the Tornado Cash developer who is raising funds for his legal defense. So Bankless uh, actually donated uh, ten thousand dollars as part of this. And we did it through GoFundMe. The because reason we, we love banks. <laughs> <laughs> the reason we did it for GoFundMe was, um, you know, like the, the other way was sending ETH. There wasn't a way to do USDC, and we just kind of didn't want to sell. Really, uh, don't really want to give so away our ETH. Yeah. It was fairly mm -hmm. easy. And then also, part of me thought it would be an interesting test to see if GoFundMe would actually deplatform Roman Storm. I didn't think they would do it though. Um, so mm. I was surprised to learn as of today, GoFundMe has basically refunded everybody who contributed and they have debanked, deplatformed the Roman Storm Legal Defense Fund, which is super interesting because like, I mean, they've had controversial funds in the past. FBI director, uh, Andrew McCabe raised 500K on GoFundMe. Uh, you know, this guy, Michael Cohen, you remember him, Trump's oh, like lawyer, he raised 300K in, this was in 2023 for legal defense. Why Roman Storm, huh? Like why? Uh, and the fact why? that- Cause it's the department of defense. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's, it's like, uh, I guess so. I guess FinCEN, I don't know, maybe he's uh, extra controversial. Um, the good news here is of course we could still get funds to Roman by route of crypto. That is, I suggest Ryan that we take the $10,000 of Fiat boomer banking bucks, turn them into crypto and then send them, send even more to him <laughs> via, via yeah. crypto because they debanked him. There you go. We should boost it. So why don't we do just it. do 15K now? We'll add we're an extra 5K 50, on this. 15K in crypto. 15K yeah. re, real crypto pristine Just so long as David, any of, the, any of the ETH that we send him, we go, we buy that back real quick. Okay. Because oh. I, don't, I, don't I don't want more fiat. 
Um, uh, can we, we'll send him fiat. This is <laughs> or, what's, cr- this is what's crazy, though. This is what's crazy to me is that like we are really moving to a world where if you're not using crypto, you could be debanked at any time if right. your opinion is unpopular. I mean, what we're talking about is, you know, Roman Storm, his uh, civil liberty of having a free and fair court case, right? Innocent mm-hmm. until proven guilty and being able to fund that. If they freeze your ability to actually pay for a lawyer, mm-hmm. then they remove that civil liberty, don't they? Yep. That's yep. what's so insidious at the, about at the, this at kind the of banking thing. layer. Yeah, exactly. And one of the reasons why I think we feel so strongly about this is like it's a slippery slope. If, if Roman Storm wins because we funded his court case, then the buck stops here and all civil civil liberties will be preserved. If he loses, there will be another future incremental progress towards any sort of like silencing or political dissent or any sort of freedom uh, to be in America, which already feels like it's slowly incrementally encroaching on us. It is. And if you want to help support that cause as well, we'll include a link in the show notes where you can donate to this through Justice Dow, which is purely uh, by route of crypto, cannot deplatform you in the same way. David, yeah. this is part of a, a wider thing. I just want to talk to you about about observations. I've got three observations from being oh, a crypto. Is this my dad US. talk? Let me, let me get, let me get comfy. Get ready. Get, get ready for a dad talk. Yeah. I, I just want to ask like bankless listener, if you are based in the U S if you're not based in the U S you might not know what I'm talking about, but if you're based in the U S are you noticing the increasingly geofence geofencing of DeFi websites, restaking platforms of airdrops? We just saw earlier in the episode is happening mm-hmm. to you. This was not the case in 2020, 2021. Now I don't like, I don't know what's going on, but it seems like so many DeFi experiences are just geo-blocked for uh, American users. And it's so crazy to me that crypto natives have to like pretend they are citizens of other countries. A lot of crypto natives are trying to get around this by using VPNs, right? And so you literally have to, not David, not I, (laughs) but like you literally have to pretend that you are what, from uh, South Africa or from the UK or like from France. Or something like this. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with people who do that, David. Uh, <laughs> you have to like change your digital passport in right. order to actually access what? DeFi? Airdrops? Mm-hmm. It's absolutely, absolutely crazy that the U.S. is like blocking its citizens uh, from airdrops. I mean, what? Is free money scary? Like, and they're not making it illegal, but they are creating with like a chilling effect, essentially, mm-hmm. by taking all of like a Kraken, Coinbase multiple um, projects to to court, calling every token a security. They're creating this chilling effect where the industry has basically just had to geofence, geoblock American customers. Mm-hmm. And it's Did an you see, absolute on, tragedy. On the StarkNet website, it says, due to le- regulatory constraints and or an uncertain regulatory environment, they don't even have the proper citation as to why they can't do it. They're just scared. Right. And you can't blame these, can't these blame projects them. for this. I mean, they just don't want to end up on the on the wrong side of a SEC bully court case, right? Mm-hmm. And so what's going on here? I mean, this this is like the country in the 90s, fully rolled out, fully supported the internet. Imagine if we geofenced the American population in the 90s from the early internet protocols. That's what we're doing with crypto. And uh, it's got to be like the dumbest timeline. I, it's such a cell phone <laughs> for the U.S. to do this. Yeah. Um, but they know about crypto, David. Another thing that I was noticing this week is um, this is the 1040 tax return. So 160 Americans have to go fill this out in the next few months to file their mm-hmm. taxes by like uh, April. You know, the, the date of taxes. Ryan's so excited he did it early. <laughs> 
Well, I was still in the process of doing it to be fair. I'm not, I'm not, not that much of a go-getter, but like, you know, I, I, uh, take special attention when it comes to taxes because it very much affects like your, your investing returns. I always have, mm -hmm. I've always been very yep. detailed. So here are the five things that they ask 160 Americans when they file their taxes, the five things on the first page of a 1040 form, they ask for your name, they ask for your address. They want your social security number, making sense so far, your marriage status, because that factors into, you know, what deductibles you can take off. And the fifth thing they ask is, do you own crypto? All right, look at this digital assets at any time during 2023. Did you receive any crypto, sell any crypto, otherwise dispose of a digital asset? And you put that dispose chain of history of. together and it's like all of your ownership. And the answer is yes or no. <laughs> Yes or no. And that is one of the first five things they ask you. So wow. it's not like the U.S. doesn't know about crypto or is too ignorant or is like passing sloppy laws. Like they're very much paying attention to what is going on in crypto and that the tax authorities certainly are. What happens in the IRS or like Rube Goldberg machine? Like what category do you get passed into if you hit yes? Like what, what happens next? Oh, I'm sure they're flagging you somewhere in Gary Gensler's Oracle database for like, oh, this is interesting. Here's a citizen that has purchased, owned some crypto. I'm, I, I don't know what happens after that, but like... I, I feel infringed upon. <laughs> it feel, <laughs> it's very important to the IRS. And like, again, this is, um, I, I would say the United States apparatus calls crypto a Ponzi, calls it like, you know, fake banking, just stupid. It's a fad. It's going to go away. Yeah. Well, if it's a fad, if it's Beanie Babies, why right. are they asking about it on the first page of your tax forms? Because it's a taxable Beanie Babies. Crazy, right? Um, the third thing I, I want to talk to you about, and I, I learned that uh, this week that the, the U.S. banking system can actually do this. Did you know, David, that if a the feds or uh, a state, so the state of Virginia, we have some taxes mm -hmm. due in Virginia because that's where I, I personally live. Did you know they can, they can just yoink funds from your bank account, from any U.S. bank account? They call it a lien. And they can absolutely just yoink funds without going to the court order, without proving anything, just by asking, requesting it. So you have no property rights inside of your bank from the perspective of the U.S. government. I mean, I've kind of always assumed that that's true. I knew that they could freeze things like if you're on a, you know, a watch list or something like uh -huh. this or you're suspected of uh, money laundering. I didn't know they could just reach in without yoink. court order, without any evidence, without any proof and just yoink your funds out. And the bank would just legally have to let them do it. But it happened to us. Well, to wait, us. wait, are they yoinking the funds or are they sending a message to the bank saying, hey, yoink this user's funds? Okay, so let me tell you what happened to us. So okay. um, the Commonwealth of Virginia, state of Virginia, uh, they basically think that uh, one of our the entity companies, Bankless LLC, owns $271, so a very small amount of uh, tax money to uh, the state of Virginia for 2024. So this is kind of a new tax obligation. We have paid it. In fact, mm -hmm. we paid it twice, by the way. And we told them we paid it. We have correspondence back and forth. They were like, oh, well, maybe we didn't receive the first time. Paid again, so we paid it again. Anyway, we're still in this weird automated um, cycle where they think that we owe them $271. And so what they did is they, uh, the state of Virginia wrote one of our bank accounts, so we do still a bank somewhere, David, Mercury, uh -huh. and they said, we have to put a lien on this account for $271. And Mercury was just like, well, sorry. And it's gone. The money is just gone. Again, we've already paid, right? We, we have evidence kind of proving uh -huh. this. They don't have to uh, present any evidence, essentially, to the bank 
or a court system. There's like no due process. They just have to be like, hey, these guys owe us money and the bank will just cough up the money. So yeah, you're right. There are no property rights in the banking system. And I don't know why I wasn't aware of that. I thought there would be more to the process, like maybe some evidence presented or your your faith in the system shattered a little bit. It's just, I'm maybe waking up even more to um, how little like when you have money in a bank account, how little you actually own it from all right. sorts of angles, David. It's, it's owned, fiat, owned so it with permission. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not even really your property if the the government wants to, you know, yoink it away. Anyway, that that's the dad talk. And that what I guess my reflection on this last piece, David, is I don't think the nation states are going to love crypto as a result of this. Okay. Right. So we also have funds in our Ethereum address. You can't write Ethereum. You can't write Vitalik uh-huh. and send him a letter and just be <laughs> <Vitalik>. like, <laughs> bankless, David and Ryan owe me money. Like right. yoink it from the ETH address. It doesn't work like uh, that. All right. Yeah. yeah. So, the, the crazy thing is we didn't owe them money. <laughs> they just yoinked no, we didn't owe them money. I just want to be clear that like I, we are totally on top of all of our tax obligations always have been. Uh-huh. Uh, but they just, they won't have the ability in a bankless money right. system to go do that. And right. I don't think they're going to like that. I don't think they're yeah. going to appreciate that. So no wonder we have uh, such consternation with respect to uh, the nation state and everything that's going on. No wonder they're trying to geoblock everything. They're just trying to slow it down. Right. You know what I think we should do as a result of this? What, David? Do a podcast? Go bankless. <laughs> oh. <laughs> maybe, maybe we should take the money out of the account. I mean, I don't think there's that much money in there. Uh, and just put it in crypto. Well, you know, we mostly are. The reason we have these yeah, types right. of uh, accounts is we, just We had at least $270 in the account. That's true. <laughs> and they can have that. That's fine. <laughs> they can have that part. David, what else we got? I, I love how I'm finding out about stuff about our company uh, live on the podcast. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, I, you know, we're taking care of it. So no, okay. no need to worry. All right, moving on to the, some of the last stories of the week. Uh, OpenAI CEO Sam Altman, we all know Sam, seeks as much as $7 trillion dollars for a new AI chip project, which is just an insane amount of money. A lot of money. It's a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, He's saying that AI chip limitations are hindering open AI's growth. There's not enough chips in the world. And he says that this project would increase chip building capacity globally. And he's been talking with investors, including the UAE, uh, to raise between five and seven trillion dollars. So overall, like Sam Bankman-Fried just wants to juice chip production. You said Sam Bankman Freed, David. Wow. Wow. Okay. Uh, Sam Altman <laughs> there you wants, wants up five to seven billion dollars to juice chip production, uh, which I think like, there's a bunch of different conversations here. But just overall, like the role that chips have in this world is up only, has been up only, continues to be up only. XAI, ChatGPT, this revolution, also with like VR headsets. The chip, the need for chips in this world are just are just growing exponentially. Yeah. Uh, N- NVIDIA, the market cap of NVIDIA passed the entire market cap of the Chinese stock market this week, which is just insane That's to in- think about. crazy. NVIDIA yeah. now, they, they make 80% of the chip market. So this right. is yes. also what uh, Sam is responding to. There's like massive consolidation, concentration of power. Um, our friend Lynn Alden weighed in on this. She said, NVIDIA now is a market cap equal to 4.5 Exxon Mobiles. Right. So like chips are the new oil. This mm-hmm. is chips versus energy on kind of a chart uh, here. So, you know, but before I got into crypto, Ryan, and I took all of my boomer uh, investments and put them into ETH. You know what I was invested in? But chips. Was it NVIDIA? 
It was like two X leverage long semiconductor uh, AMD NVIDIA <laughs> stocks. <laughs> It was the most mi- millennial portfolio. Which I can is the think better of. trade? It was an ETH or was it that? I think I lost. I think uh, ETH lost. Time. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because AMD was like $6 at the time. And it's like, yeah, it's crazy. I uh, guess people- I, which I, I consider myself a fantastic investor. You, you are a fantastic investor. That's why we do this show, David. It's just yeah, like thanks, nothing but great non financial advice. ETH and uh, semiconductors. We've done great <laughs> so far. All right, David, we don't have a meme of the week this week, but let's talk about some TradFi antics. I cannot believe this happened. Okay, so here's the headline tweet. Never seen anything like this. Lyft just corrected its earnings press release. Says it means EBITDA margin expansion. EBITDA, do you know what that stands for? Earnings before income T something something. Yeah, yep. No, it's taxes. like a way. It's a way to like massage some numbers. It's profit. It's profit, basically. Uh, okay. Earnings before income, taxes, depreciation, amortization. They reported that their EBITDA, their profit, basically was five hundred basis points. Five hundred basis points. So, so shares f- went up sixty percent. Percent. Five percent. Yeah, that that's is? a lot, right? Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. Uh, on your margin, shares went up sixty yeah. percent. Uh, and uh, but apparently, David. This was not the correct amount. They added a zero to this. Ty- typo to zero? Yes, it was actually not 500 basis points. It was 50 basis points. And <laughs> oh that sent my the stock God, that's, a, that's an order of magnitude of one. That's right? uh, no, kind of reminiscent of Cointelegraph, errant uh, Bitcoin ETF approval. If this was malicious and somebody was trading that, they probably made a lot of money. I think this is absolutely crazy uh, that this happened. <laughs> Couldn't happen in DeFi, could it, right? Because all of our earnings are on chain. <laughs> Because we, no, we have no earning reports. <laughs> <laughs> we just have tokens. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. So that's the weekly roll-up. Thanks, everyone, for uh, walking us through it this week. There is a Moment of Zen, which is a Coinbase ad. So we're going to show you an ad for a Moment of Zen. It's not ours. It's Coinbase's, but it's definitely worth uh, watching. This is not going to be on the podcast because you kind of need to watch the video. So it's only for the YouTube. Some disclosures as we end. Both David and I, of course, hold ETH. You can see all of our disclosures at bankless.com slash disclosures. And got to let you know, crypto is risky. You could lose what you put in, but we are headed west. It's the frontier. Not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the Bankless journey. Thanks a lot. 